0: There's something to be said for using the phrase the evil one when this particular Greek verb is used with this particular proposition, it almost always means to rescue us from a specific person, not from an abstract idea. And so I believe that the closest uh, demonstration of what would be accurate would be deliver us from the evil one. In Matthew chapter four, you don't have to turn to it, but you are familiar with the passage that when Jesus was personally being tempted, he was being tempted by the evil one. And in this context, I think Jesus becomes the warning to his disciples of this and saying, when you are praying and as you are praying for yourself, as you're laying your life before the Lord, it would not be inappropriate for you to say, Lord. Deliver me from the evil one. Protect me from him. Protect me from Satan. Protect me from what's going on. And Lord, if I find myself in failure, then deliver me from the situation or protect my soul. So that you can prove to me that you are strength in my time of weakness. And so he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us or snatch us or save us from Satan and his evil schemes against us. This becomes a very personal prayer in the aspect of praying for ourselves. Because while you can pray this for another individual, there's this aspect of it lead me, Lord. This is a personal time between me and you. When I am demonstrating to you that I am weak without you, it is a personal confession of our spiritual weakness. It's a prayer for those who feel vulnerable in the face of Satan and his attacks. When we pray this prayer, we are saying, oh, Heavenly Father, don't let me come to a place where I succumb to temptation. Don't let me come to a place where I will be overwhelmed by Satan, but deliver me from him and the power that he may try to exert in my life. When you pray, lead us not into temptation, you are expressing your own weakness in the trials and the difficulties of life. But you are also displaying great confidence in God's mighty power. The first half is your weakness. The second half is God's power. The first point that I want to make this morning is this is a prayer of protection. A prayer of protection. Now to say it like that is to raise one question. Is this then a prayer for cowards? Is this the way that cowards pray? You know, we have this image of those in the world that don't have relationship with Jesus that oftentimes look at Christians and say, you know what? Jesus is for those who are weak. Jesus is for those who just don't have the inner fortitude to make it on their own. Jesus is a crutch. And, you know, there's this atmosphere, uh, this aspect that begins to grow up inside that we, we get angry when we hear people say that about us as Christians, but If this was the case, that Christians are cowards, or is this prayer a prayer of cowards, then we would have to look and ask, is Jesus a coward? The answer to that, of course, is no. But Matthew chapter 26, when he is in the garden of Gethsemane Gethsemane, on the night before he's crucified, the Son of God knelt and begged God for the cup to pass away from him. And the Bible said that he prayed with loud cries and tears to God to be delivered from that which was before him. God, deliver me. Is there any other way that salvation can come to the earth but for me to have to go through this? Deliver me, Lord, if there's another way. You'll notice that in that prayer, never did you hear God say, okay, God, I'm ready. Okay, God, I'm strong. Okay, Father, I will crawl up on that cross and I will die. You can count on me because I've got it all together. In his prayer on the night before it happened, he cried out to God for help. I attended a football game yesterday. It was a modified game for guys that were kind of in the seventh and eighth grade. And and I remembered the huddles before the teams went out there, and I love this age group, especially of boys, because when they ran out of the huddle and they were all screaming, about half of them's voice had changed and the other half hadn't. And so you have these little guys running out there going, Aah! and you have those whose voices are cracking, Aah! kind of Tarzanish, isn't it? And I remember thinking, if I were the other team, how intimidated would I feel if I saw a bunch of these guys run out? They look good in their uniforms, you know. But there's this self-confidence that comes right before the battle. Their coaches are building them up. I want you to know that we as Christians, our confidence comes before battle because we have prayed. Because we have been in the presence of the Lord, not because of something that we can create on our own. In fact, the victory on Calvary was... Won before he ever got to the cross. The victory on Calvary was won because he prayed. He did not fail in his testing because he did not fail in his praying. I want you to think about that. Jesus didn't fail in his testing because he didn't fail in his praying. I believe that some of the things that we face in life and some of the difficulties that we go through are a direct result of failing in prayer before we ever face the things that come before us. As a result of that, there is this lack of spiritual preparation within our lives. And I believe that the Lord is calling us as a people to be people of prayer so that when we face the testing, because we didn't fail in prayer, we won't fall or fail in the testing. Luke chapter 22, verse 40. Turn if you would to this. Luke chapter 22, beginning with verse 39, it says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him on reaching the place. He said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. Specifically, this is how he told them to pray for themselves. Pray that you will not fall into temptation. And he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them. And he knelt down and he prayed and he said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked. And then he told them again, get up and pray that you will not fall into temptation. In a moment of crisis, Jesus passes the test because He did not fail to pray. And Jesus' words to His disciples, and I believe are words that are just as important to us this morning, is before you face what the world has to offer, before you do battle with Satan, make sure you have prayed for the protection of God to be around you. Before you face the day, before you face... The heartaches and the struggles of this life and the the toils and the snares that have already come face it because you have been in prayer. When you pray, you admit that you are weak. And when you admit you're weak, there comes a little bit of fear. And I want to tell you something as it relates to facing temptation. A little fear is not a bad thing. A little fear causes us to be cautioned. A little fear causes us to do things to protect ourselves. And so the petition of God is one in which He says, Don't be overly confident in your own abilities and in what you think of yourself spiritually. When soldiers go to battle, they do so with fear and trembling. They know what's at stake. They've prepared themselves. They've worked with their teammates. They've practiced the battle drills. And yet when they go, they go in fear. And so the Lord tells us not to take our our adversary too lightly. There's a children's church song. I was singing it this morning. It says, Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. And as I was thinking about that, I thought, how sad is it? That we as a church have determined that the only weakness can be displayed are only in children. That as we grow in the Lord, we begin to think that now that I am adult, I ought to be able to handle some of this on my own. And the strength of the Lord, you know, that's needed for our kids because they are weak, but God is strong. I believe that we can all sing that song. Because we are all children of the Lord and his prayer for us is when you pray for yourself, pray for his strength, because you are weak, but he is strong. You're weak, but God is strong in your strength. You are no match for Satan. And a little fear is healthy motivation when you're fighting against a superhuman adversary. So this petition, which on the surface seems so simple, is actually very profound. It's a prescription for spiritual life. It's a measure for your spiritual health. Do you pray this prayer when you pray for yourself? Lord, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. No matter how difficult the issues of your life, God will bring you out of it or he will bring you through it or he will sustain you or supernaturally remove you because God answers prayer. Secondly, this morning, it's a prayer of restoration, a prayer of restoration. Turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 22 and look at verses 31 through 32. Before we got to that passage of scripture that we just read where Jesus was encouraging them to pray, we see this particular passage where Jesus is having a conversation with Peter. In verse 31 of of, uh, Luke chapter 22, it says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. This is an exceptionally interesting passage of Scripture in a conversation that Jesus has with Simon because three times Jesus calls him by name to reassure him that even in the midst of what will be his greatest humiliation, that the Lord would be with him through every step of the way. The words of Christ tie both the meanings of temptation together, those that would prevent and also those that would rescue. Because whenever temptation comes upon you or whenever there are situations thrust upon you as the enemy attack, Satan wants something from you. When he attacks you, he wants something from you. It may be a reaction. It may be a response. It may be that he wants to lead you into something that he knows is going to destroy your faith. But when he attacks, he wants something from you. But I also want you to know that whenever these attacks come and we have prayed for ourselves, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, that God wants something from you too. God has prepared for you that he has given you what you need so that you can respond. Satan wants to destroy you. God wants to deliver you. In the case of Satan's temporary victory over Peter's life, it brought to him a much greater victory to the Lord when it was all over with. And there are times that you can sit there and you, you feel humiliated before the Lord when you've made promises to God that, Lord, I, I promise you I won't fall in that way again. And you do again and again and again. I want you to know there is a strength that God has for you. But Jesus looked at him and said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. The word that has been translated into our Bible as asked really has a much stronger meaning than the word ask in our vocabulary. In Greek, it means more like he has strongly demanded you. Satan has strongly demanded you or Satan has set his eyes on you, Peter, and he's determined to bring you down by any means possible. And as we look at this, there's naturally a fear that comes from this thing. And oh, my goodness, why didn't Jesus just say no? Because obviously there are things that we will never learn about our Lord until he's protected us in the midst of trials and storms. On the other hand, I find it comforting that Satan has to ask God and has to get his permission before he touches any of his children. Sometimes Christians become frozen in fear because they've given Satan too much credit. Sometimes we talk as if Satan were a kind of junior God, almost but not quite as powerful as Jesus. Sometimes we think that he's got like 90% of God's power and 90% of his wisdom and so on. But it is quite different in the biblical picture that we are given. Satan is revealed as a creature of great power and cunning who nevertheless first and always is a created being and has no power independent of God. Also within this particular verse, when Jesus is speaking to Peter. He said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked or He has strongly demanded to sift you as wheat. The word you in this in the Greek is not a singular word. In other words, he was speaking to Peter, but he was indicating that Satan has made a strong demand to sift you. And the you was of all disciples. It was plural, not just that I'm aiming only at you, Peter, but actually because of the timelessness of this word, it applies to us this morning, just as it applied in that moment. That the Lord, through His Word, is giving you warning that Satan has desired or strongly demanded to sift you as wheat. That this was not a one-time attack, but that there needed to be an on-guard nature for his church to recognize that today Satan is strongly demanding of the Lord to sift your life. The plural, present tense that he wants to destroy all of us. But th- this particular instance was a specific attack targeted at Peter. And this if this is the case, why would God permit his children to be put in such a bad position? Precisely so that he can show you that even under severe pressure, we can survive if we depend on his grace. In Peter's case, it actually meant... That falling into sin would bring him about an opportunity to be restored later. Another interesting point in this is that Satan attacks us at a point of perceived strength, not the point of our weakness. We all recognize that there are things within our life that we are weak at. There are weaknesses that we have, and generally as a result of the weaknesses, we try to build guards around those. If we know that we are weak at something, we are a little more cautious about those things. It's our strengths that we often ignore because we think we've got it together. And in Mark chapter 14, turn if you would there. Mark chapter 14. Again, a conversation as Jesus is with them and Jesus begins to predict Peter's denial. In verse 27, Jesus looks at them. They're all standing there around him and he goes, you will all fall away, Jesus said, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And there's verse 29. Here's Peter in the full energy of his personality. He just sees Jesus with a short sermon telling all of those that were closest to him. Guys, I just have to warn you. You're all going to run. You're going to run. And Peter declared, it says in the Scripture. In other words, this wasn't just, uh, Jesus, I have something I'd like to add to that. This is one of those things where Peter stands up and goes, excuse me. And he looks around at all these other guys and goes, even if they all fail and if they all fall, I will not. I'm sure that made everybody else just really love Peter. And Jesus, verse 30 says, Peter, I'm going to tell you the truth. Today, yes, even tonight, before the rooster crows three times, you yourself are going to disown me. Three times. And Peter, again, having Jesus face him down. Jesus has just told him, you're not going to pull this off. Peter looks at Jesus and says, insisting emphatically, the scripture says, his attitude never changed. Peter looks Jesus in the eye. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And then it says, and all the others said the same. Great strength in these men. Lord, whatever you go through, we're going through. You can count on us. Peter was the spokesman saying, you have no idea the strength that you've given to us. There's no possible way we will run from you. There's no way we're going to fail in this. (laughs) and then the attack came. In fact, it says that it came so suddenly and so swiftly and so unexpectedly that the bold apostle turned to butter. In the middle of his strength, Peter by himself is helpless. In a moment of crisis, Peter failed at the very point that he had pledged that he would be eternally faithful and even be willing to die. And yet the first time he's questioned, he runs. Should this surprise us? I mean, this is Peter we're talking about. This is a person that had actually spent time walking with Jesus, who'd seen Him in the eye, who'd seen all these miracles. If he failed, what chance do we have? It shouldn't surprise us because Satan doesn't only attack at your points of weakness. Sometimes he directly attacks your points of strength. If you know you have a weakness, it's an area you guard. But if you think that it's an area that you don't have a problem with, if it's an area that you think you can handle on your own, that it's really not going to be a temptation to you at all, then you need to raise the red flag because there's danger ahead for you. When a person takes any area of life for granted, that's the one area Satan will most likely attack. Why? Because that's the area you're not looking for him to attack. And the third point is Christ's prayer of redemption. Christ's prayer of redemption. In this passage, he's looking at Peter and he tells him that Satan has strongly demanded to sift you as wheat. And then he goes to him and he says, but I want you to know something. I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. These simple words of Jesus words to Peter are a reservoir of truth for us as it relates to us this morning. Because first of all, it tells us that Christ knew in advance everything that Peter was about to do. He knew about the denials. Jesus knew that he was going to curse. He knew the repeated lies that Peter was about to tell. He knew the bitter tears that would be shed when he saw Christ taken away in judgment. He even knew more than that. He knew that one day Peter would become a mighty preacher of the gospel. He saw all that pride and the reckless boasting and the shameful denials and the broken heart and the deep repentance and the new resolve to serve the Lord. He saw it all before it happened. He saw it before Peter even knew anything was going to take place. As that relates to us today, I want you to know that I'm so thankful today that we have a God that doesn't see our life on a day to day basis, but he sees our life on the timeline of one that stretches through eternity. There is nothing that's going to go on in your life this week, today, this afternoon or in the future that God does not already see and know. There's never a moment that you're going to stand there and say, God, did you not see this coming Because God sees it all, and He knows it all, and He's planned it all, and He's made available for you everything that you need in that moment of trial. If you will just learn to pray for yourself before those things take place. Second of all, we look and we see Christ's response to Peter's fall is to pray for him. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 says, Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. Because he always lives to intercede for them. I want you to write down in your Bible and that that verse in Hebrews. He always lives to intercede, not for them, but for you. I want you to personalize that verse because that's the way that's to be applied. Jesus is praying for you. Put your name there. He's praying for you. He's praying for you. You do not have to worry about being alone because Jesus always lives to pray for you. He loves you more than you can love yourself. He cares more about your life than you can care for yourself. I'm so thankful that even at this very moment, He's sitting before the father and he's saying, father, there's Doug. And I know that he's struggling. Help him to stay strong. Sharon needs your help, father. Jack's about to fall into temptation. Don't let him be utterly destroyed. Megan wants to do what's right. Help her to have the courage she needs. What an awesome thought that the son of God is calling us out by name and taking us personally before the father. Because without his prayers, we would never make it. Also understand this, Christ does not pray for Peter to be removed from temptation. Instead, he prays that in the midst of the shame, that he would not lose his faith altogether. He says, Father, Satan wants to sift him, destroy him altogether. Please don't let that happen. I have to admit to you that as I was looking at this, there was a, just a fresh revelation, not only of God's grace, but of what he wants to say to the church. Because there are some of you here today, and your life is one of living in shame because you've blown it. In the moment of temptation, you have fallen and you come to church, but it's a struggle to get here because of the shame that you're carrying around in your heart. There are things that clutter your past, and you think that there's no possible way that God could know you, want you, even like you. Because you have disappointed Him from time to time and again and again and you, you just sit there and you don't even enjoy the setting anymore because the presence of the Lord brings such conviction upon you. And I want you to understand that in this prayer, when you're praying for yourself, not only lead me not into temptation, but deliver me that there's the aspect that God never gives up on you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how many times you have fallen. He is there to pick you up, and His blood is still effective to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Peter was about to fail. And as he's about to go through that, Jesus is already telling him, don't give up just because you fail." Because he uses this particular scripture when in these words in the scripture, he says, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. And when you have turned back, I believe in the King James Version, the term is even used converted. And when you are converted, strengthen your brothers. The aspect of God in his magnificent grace that says to those who are struggling with the aspect of I am not good enough. When my grace has reached you, stand up, brush yourself off, and continue walking the path. If you fall again, get up, because my grace is always sufficient for you. It's no longer time to beat yourself up about what's gone on in your past. It's no longer time to say, I am sorry, God. I have reached the extent of your grace and your ability to forgive. It's time for you to say, I will trust him regardless of what I have done, because his grace is strengthening me. And after Peter's fall, he didn't say to him, you know what? You no longer even qualify to be in ministry. You no longer even qualify to be used my name. He said, strengthen your brothers. There are some things that have happened in your life. That even as the example of how you weren't able to approach it obediently. In the honesty that comes with that, you can strengthen those around you by saying, you know what? This was a warning sign that I didn't see. I thought I was strong enough in this area. I faced this one on my own. I was singing that song, you know, children are weak, but I am strong. And as a result of that, I didn't see what was coming into my life and and I failed, but I. Want you to know that as you even speak of those things, which you have failed in as testimony to others, there's a strength that comes to them because they recognize God saw you through it. He forgave you. He restored you. He renewed you. And if he can do it for you, he can do it for them. God perseveres with us. We are preserved and we are safe through our many trials Because he used the word with Peter, when you have turned back. In other words, your failure does not have to kill your faith. Your failure and your falling does not have to pull you away completely. But it can serve as an opportunity for you to get back up and come running back to Jesus. And don't miss these two encouraging facts that took place here. Number one, Jesus treated Peter. He never criticized Peter after that. And he never gave up on him. He never criticized Peter and he never gave up on him. And some of you have friends and family members that have walked with the Lord and have fallen away. And I want you to recognize something. Don't ever give up on them in prayer. Don't stop praying for them that God would bring them to a place where his grace can reach them. And don't approach them in such a critical factor as if I wish you could be as good as me because that will do nothing for them. There's this aspect of approaching people humbly and with grace and praying for them. Because if there was ever anybody, it could have been Jesus that looked at Peter when this was all over and say, see, I told you, you idiot. I told you, you didn't have the strength to do that. But Jesus just reached out with grace and he never gave up on him. God often uses broken people to accomplish great things. If you doubt this, then let me do a a roll call quickly of broken saints in the Bible. There was Noah who got drunk. There was Abraham who lied about his wife. There was Jacob, who was known as a deceiver, Moses, who murdered an Egyptian, Rahab, who was a prostitute, David, who was an adulterer, Paul, who persecuted and imprisoned people who loved Jesus. There was Peter who denied Christ. And the amazing thought to ponder in all of this is that Peter did much more for Jesus Christ after his fall than he did before. He did more after his fall than he did before. Before his fall, he was loud, boisterous, unreliable. Afterward, he became an anointed preacher of the gospel. Before his fall, he was a big talker. Afterwards, he was humble and couldn't do enough for Jesus and for others. He was the same man, but there was something different about him. After he recognized he couldn't do this on his own strength. He was still Peter through and through, but he had been sifted. And in that sifting, the chap of his life had been blown away. What Peter lost in his failure was his vanity. He lost his pride. He lost his self-confidence. He lost his rash impulsiveness. He lost his unreliability. And this is what he gained in the grace of God after it was all over. Humility, a new confidence in God, tested courage, a new determination to serve Jesus Christ and a willingness to use his experience to help others. The things he lost, he didn't really need. The things he gained couldn't have come in any other way. In the same way, God redeems our mistakes by removing the things that bring us down. He removes the things that bring us down. And as we learn to pray, and we get to the aspect of praying for ourselves, we need to come with childlike faith, faith recognizing I am weak, but You are strong. And Lord, even in the areas that I perceive that I am strong, help me to recognize that I cannot be overconfident. That I must walk with You. And when I make a mistake, You redeem me. That the deliverance that you provide from us for us is not only a protection in prayer, but when we've blown it, there is a redemption that comes. Then we learn from that and we grow on in you and we become different people than before we fell. That you never close the book on us. So this morning, in just a moment, as we prepare ourselves for communion, I want you to recognize the magnificence of God's grace. None of us really understand God's grace. It's the hardest of all Christian doctrines to grasp. Because it goes against our deeply felt need to prove ourselves worthy. We want to show God that we are worthy of his love and we can't do it. Grace says you aren't worthy, but I love you anyway. That's hard to hear. Honestly, that's hard to hear. It's even harder to believe because we believe that if there's something of us that's good, then it gives God a reason to love us. The reason God loves you is because he created you and created you to have relationship with him. Because he created you, he never gives up on you. And so in the grace of God today that he extends to you, I want you to meditate on his grace. Think about it, rest in it, rejoice in it, talk about it, share it, sing it. So great is his grace. I'm going to ask that you would close your eyes. Bow your heads. Almighty God, forgive us for fighting our battles in the flesh. Forgive us for taking Satan so lightly as to think that we are a match for him on our own. Teach us to trust in you completely. To believe that Jesus Christ has won the victory And that as we walk in Him, that we will move from victory unto victory. Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray for ourselves. Lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil. That we might eventually be delivered from the evil one, both in your protection from Him, and if we have fallen in your redemption from sin, to greater heights in you than we have ever known before pray this in Jesus name with your heads bowed and your eyes closed before we approach communion this morning maybe you're here today and first of all you would say you know pastor I'm one of those that would qualify I'm a like Peter I've faced so many things in my life that I have just failed I just I keep making promises to God and I have failed and failed and failed and I begin to wonder how far God's grace can extend to me but today I want to once again, Make a declaration to the Lord that I want His grace to be with me. I want to be forgiven and restored. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I have received Christ, but I'm living in a fallen state and I need that restoration of my soul. Would you just lift your hand? You can put it right back down. I'm not going to embarrass you. Yes, I see those hands. You can put them down. Yes. I want to pray with you first. Lord and Savior, we are not perfect people. There's so many different things that come into our life that tempt us and so many different things that we fall in again and again. And today, Lord, you have seen those that would respond by saying, Today, Lord Jesus, I like Peter. I need restoration. I need you to come to me just like you did after Peter failed and he was broken and he was so humiliated and he was hurt because he had such high hopes for being able to stand for you in this The moment the temptation came, He wilted. And Lord, there are those of us here today that know exactly what that's like. And all we can do is say, don't give up on us with your grace. So I pray today for restoration. That we would grab a hold of the aspect of deliverance that restores us back to a grace in you. That restores us back to that knowledge of you. And that we would walk out of this place today stronger than we were before. Because we trust you more and know of your grace more. And I pray for them today in Jesus' name. With your heads bowed and your eyes still closed, I want to ask if there's anybody here today that has never received Christ. You're you're not in relationship with Jesus. Maybe you thought that just being religious was good enough or just going to church was good enough, but you have never with your own words and with your own mind asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins and asked Him to develop relationship with you. I want you to know that that's why this church exists. It's to invite you. And if you're here today and you would like to invite Christ as your Savior, I'm going to very simply ask that you would just lift your head and look at me and I will acknowledge that you're looking at me and then you can put your head right back down and I will pray for you. Yes, sir, I agree with you. Yes, ma'am, I agree with you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father God, for these this morning that have sensed in their heart a need to have a relationship with You. The reason we are created for, there is no joy that comes into our life that is greater than finding our purpose for existing. And so, Lord, I ask right now in the name of Jesus that You would recognize their response and that You would respond to it. And Lord, that as they ask in their own words that You would forgive them of their sin as they recognize that You died for them. Your grace is so powerful that it extends to everything they have done and You have wiped them clean today in the name of Jesus. I pray that You would write their names down in the Lamb's Book of Life which is the the book that will allow us entry into heaven. I pray, Lord, that this would be the beginning step of a walk with You, that that relationship would not remain introductory, but would continue to grow, O oh God. And we pray this in Jesus' name, and we celebrate together. And everyone said, Amen.